This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to episode 15 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries, both natural and supernatural, from the twin perspectives of faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Akin. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, as always, we remind you to like Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on Facebook, where we have a Facebook page, to retweet the show on Twitter if you follow us at SQPN, to leave us comments, to subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, tune in your favorite podcast app, or in YouTube, where if you subscribe there, also remember to hit the bell to make sure you get notifications whenever a new episode goes live, and above all, to share the podcast with your friends, which helps us to grow the community reach more listeners uh and jimmy uh, uh you have a special message for us today as well yeah so we're in the midst of uh starquest current giving campaign and we really need to hear from you starquest is a nonprofit organization that tries to reach people for christ that's why we our name starquest it's a reference to the bethlehem star and how it guided people to jesus and um, and we want to do the same thing by exploring pop culture and science and the mysterious from a Catholic perspective and help bring people closer to God. We need your help to do that. Earlier this year, the board of StarQuest, which, as I said, is a nonprofit, decided to invest in a whole new line of shows. Uh, we didn't want to limp along just doing one podcast anymore. We wanted to really embrace our mission. And that meant doing a bunch of new shows, including this one, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. The reason that you're hearing this now is because of that decision. One of the consequences of that decision is we have more expenses. We have additional labor costs and hosting costs and technical costs. And as a result, our funds are depleted and we need to hear from you. We haven't run a giving campaign in two years. So now's the time we really need to hear from you. The way you can support SQPN is by going to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn for StarQuest Production Network or StarCast Podcast Network dot com slash give. Click the Patreon button, become one of our regular Patreon supporters. We have some mysterious thank you gifts we'd like to send you based on uh, your support. They include things like, uh, and these are all things I've used myself and can recommend to you, a book on Area 51. It's one of the best books on the subject. Um, a book on the Fermi problem. Where are all of the aliens? Uh, with a whole bunch of proposed solutions, many of which you may never have 
come you may never have thought of before. And also, of course, on the mysterious Dead Sea Scrolls. That's really good. So we'd love to send you those as thank yous for your support. But we do need your support if you want to keep hearing Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World and similar programs. We're also looking at other ways to um, uh, reward our Patreon supporters. One of the things I'd like to do in the future, we're not quite there yet, but one of the things I'd like to do is have you, the Patreon supporters, uh, have a voice in selecting the topics that we're going to be covering here on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. So we look to be adding additional benefits for our supporters in the future. The way to become a supporter, go to sqpn.com slash give. And uh, please do it today while you're thinking about it. Thank you, Jimmy. And uh, also a reminder, stay tuned through the end of the podcast. Stick with us because we have uh, your feedback, mysterious feedback and mystery headlines, which are two of the best parts of the show. So let's get into our topic, uh, which is a perennial favorite of mystery uh, lovers around around the, the world, even, uh, which is the topic of the assassination of the U.S. President John F. Kennedy in 1963, which is topical, given that we're around the anniversary of that date. Uh, right. I, I planned this episode because we have the anniversary coming up next week. So for the, for uh, l- listeners who may not be completely familiar with uh, the JFK assassination, can you give us a little background on it, Jimmy? Yeah. So the year was 1970, 1963, um, and it was the third year of John F. Kennedy's presidency. He was on a trip to Dallas, uh, Texas, and he was riding in a, an open air car, which presidents did back then, in a motorcade on November 22nd. And on that day at 1230, uh, just afternoon, uh as he was heading to lunch and admiring crowds were gathered around him to greet the president and his glamorous wife, Jacqueline Kennedy, assassin's bullets began to fire and he was uh, he was struck dead. Um, controversy has swirled around this event ever since. And in this episode, we're going to be looking at the basics of the case. We're going to be giving an overview of the assassination. There has been so much research done on this that and there's so many very interesting aspects of it that we won't be able to cover them all here. Uh, we're just going to be doing an overview and we'll devote future episodes to more particular aspects that will allow us to look in detail at some of the different um, factors that go into this. But here we're going to be looking at the assassination in a broad way to kind of lay a foundation for future discussions. And we're specifically going to be asking the question, was this a conspiracy? Okay. Um, Do you have a a particular background on this topic, Jimmy? I I do. Um, You know, I was born in Texas and, uh, and my, this was actually a few years before I was born, but I was born in Texas. My family was from Texas, so they were there when the assassination occurred, not in Dallas, but in the state. And so I would, you know, have the opportunity to ask them what their impressions were, what it was like, what they thought about it. Also, um, I, once I was I was traveling by train and we were going through Dallas and I we had a stop and I happened to look out of the train and I realized we're in Dealey Plaza. We're exactly where the assassination occurred. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of my first experience seeing the site. And I subsequently went back and visited it. I think I've been there more than once now. Um, 
but I've I've been to the site at Dealey Plaza. I've been up in the book depository where the sixth floor museum is, where some of the shots were fired from, maybe all of the shots. And I subsequently have done a lot of research into it. I've read multiple books on the subject. And I've made a point of reading books from very different perspectives, uh, some of which support uh, the Warren Commission findings that we'll talk about that says this was not a conspiracy. It was just a lone crazy man. I've read others that are, say, nope, it was a conspiracy. And here are the people who were involved. Um, I've tried to make a point of of covering all my bases and looking at this in a very um, objective way that's open to all the different evidence and claims. I've also, you know, done a lot of uh, watching of things like the Zapruder film, which is the best photographic record we have of the event and what it may reveal. And so I've really tried to personally make a study of this, and I'm looking forward to discussing it both on this episode and then digging down into some of the details in future episodes. Excellent. Uh, and I, too, have actually visited Dealey Plaza once uh, uh, within the last, uh, say, 13 years, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's amazingly with, small, isn't it? Yes, it is. And actually, it, it, I, I remember the, the train bridge that you must have been on uh, as, as you go there. But yeah. yeah, that's on the that's on the overpass that if you yep. see if footage when the motorcade is speeding away after the shooting, it goes under this overpass. And right. that's what the train bridge is. Like so many things you see, you've seen on TV, for instance, for you know many times historical places. When you actually go there, one of the things that often happens is, wow, it's so small compared to yeah. how large <laughs> it sits in 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 your imagination, but also in history. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's let's you know start with as we always do the claims and counterclaims. What is from what is the the lone gunman claims uh, that we start so. With? So this is a um, this is a claim that was advanced by what's known as the Warren Commission um, immediately after the assassination. The new president, Lyndon Johnson, tasked Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren with heading a commission to investigate the assassination. And Warren did not want to do it, but Johnson twisted his arm and got him to do it. So Warren led this commission uh, that in 1964, the next year, published a report in which they said that Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald, a man who was from Louisiana but was living in Dallas, and that he basically, as far as they could tell, he acted alone. He was not part of a conspiracy. No one sent him on a mission. He was just a disturbed young man who took it upon himself to do this. So that's the lone gunman claim. Mm -hmm. Other claims that get made in this connection – kind of go along with that. One of them is that I've heard uh, people make is that assassinations like this just involve lone nuts. They don't involve conspiracies. When you have an assassination like this, it's always a lone nut. Um, Another claim that gets made very frequently is that the Warren Commission report is the official government response. And so it's what all right thinking people believe. If you don't believe it, you're a crazy conspiracy nut. You're not a right-thinking person. This is what the competent government response is. That's sort of the pop culture uh, approach is that if if you believe anything except the lone gunman claim, uh, you must be a crazy conspiracy nut. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say exactly pop culture for reasons we'll mention, okay, but it, yeah. is, it is kind of the establishment media M- perspective. Mainstream. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So then let's look at the uh, the counterclaims then for those who uh, who say, no, not a lone gunman. 
Okay, well, in the 1970s, the House of Representatives uh, commissioned a select committee. It's called the House Select Committee on Assassinations. Its function was to relook at the JFK assassination and the assassination of Martin Luther King. Okay. Um, and in 1978, it published its findings, and uh, the House committee said that, as far as they could tell, Lee Harvey Oswald was one of the gunmen, but that it was highly probable that a second gunman was also involved, meaning that there was a conspiracy. Interesting. So this also, you'll note, is an official government response. So we actually have two official government responses, the Warren Commission endorsing the lone gunman theory and the 1978 uh, House Committee assessment that it was highly probable it was a conspiracy. Okay. Uh, so it only looked at JFK and Martin Luther King, not Robert Kennedy? It may have, I forget. My memory okay. is fuzzy on that one, but okay. I know it looked at, at JFK and MLK. Did, did Do you think any politics played a role in the, the committee's findings? Oh, yeah. Okay. So. Well, in terms, of it, in terms of its composition, it did. Uh, that's why it, it, you had one group of people who wanted to look at, um, at JFK's assassination again. And the House uh, Black Caucus said, well, we want, Kennedy, we want Martin Luther King looked at too. Okay. And so they merged their votes and merged their goals and got a committee that looked at both. Okay. All right. Um, but uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of did politics play a role in the findings, that's a very interesting story. You might want to check out a book called The Last Investigation by Gaetan Fonzi, who was uh, one of the participants in the uh, House Select Committee. He was one of the researchers for it. Okay. And he has a very interesting inside story of how that all worked. And and maybe that could be a topic for a future yeah. episode. Um, so, so since we have these two um, contrary government findings about what happened, why is the first one so popular uh, in the mainstream media? It's actually not as popular in public opinion. One of the things that polls have consistently shown is that a majority of Americans think it was a conspiracy. Hmm. Um, and the idea that and, and sometimes in some years, the polls have been like, 80 or even more percent of Americans think it was a conspiracy and don't buy the Warren report. Um, the uh, so the I, but the mainstream media has really done a job selling the idea that this is the official. This is what sane people believe. This is the majority opinion, even though it's not the majority public opinion. Hmm. Um, and one of this leads to another claim that is made, uh, which is that. The government and specifically the Central Intelligence Agency has staged a media cover up here and has used its assets in the mainstream media to promote the Warren Commission narrative and to dismiss and disparage any contrary narratives. And there's actually uh, we're not going to go into it in this episode, but there's actually good evidence for this hmm. um, that there uh, that there are assets that the CIA has in the mainstream media that it uses to plant and foster stories like this, including this one specifically. Um, but that's a topic for another show. The Another counterclaim, now the House uh, Select Committee said that Oswald was one of the gunmen, but probably not the only one. Oswald himself had a counterclaim. 
he said he wasn't a shooter at all, that he was not involved. He said, I'm just a patsy. In other words, I'm being set up to take the fall for this, but I was not involved. Okay. And not as a shooter. Um, so that's another counterclaim. Not everybody accepts that Oswald was even a shooter. Um, a lot of people think, no, he was what he said. He was a patsy. And it was other people who did the assassination. So the question would then be, well, who were the responsible parties? Who, If it was a conspiracy, who is responsible? There are a bunch of claims. Um, one of the first claims that occurred to people was the Russians, because this was at a really tense time in the Cold War. We'd had the Bay of Pigs confrontation with Cuba. We'd had the Cuban Missile Crisis with a confrontation with the Soviets. A lot of people thought, and then based on some things we're going to hear about Lee Harvey Oswald, a lot of people thought this is the Russians. They did this. Another immediate thought was this is Cubans. This is disgruntled. This is Cubans, either people sent by Fidel Castro or Cubans who were here in America who were mad at JFK for not following through at the Bay of Pigs and allowing their planned uh, liberation of their homeland to falter. And all those Cubans who went to fight at the Bay of Pigs getting killed. Hmm. Um, so there were a lot of Cubans in America who were really mad at JFK. Claim is they were involved. Also, since the um, CIA were the people behind the Bay of Pigs, there were a lot of CIA people who were really mad at uh, at JFK. And the claim is one of the claims is that some rogue CIA agents took it upon themselves to see to his assassination. Then there's a claim that organized crime was involved, that the mafia was involved. And they also had reason to be mad at JFK because they had heavily supported his election efforts and his family. Uh, the Kennedy family, through their father, Joseph, who was a bootlegger, had mob ties. Mm -hmm. And um, 1960 was a very close election. Uh, Nixon almost won and later argued he would have won if not for shenanigans, uh, you know, pulled by the Kennedy campaign involving voter fraud. Um, but it was a very close election and the mafia had supported JFK's election. And then after the election, the attorney general, Robert Kennedy, the president's brother, starts vigorously prosecuting mafia figures. Hmm. And it's like, why are you guys biting the hand that feeds you? And so one of the claims is the mafia realized that if they assassinated Robert Kennedy, the president would just double down on his prosecutions of them for revenge. But if they killed JFK, it would neutralize RFK by by killing the, the snake at its head. And so the idea was to uh, to get rid of the Robert Kennedy prosecutions that way. Um, then. There's obviously in and anytime, you know, a crime happens, one of the questions that gets asked is cui bono, right. who benefits? Well, someone who benefited in this case was the vice president, Lyndon B. Johnson, who then became president. Lyndon B. Johnson was a very ambitious man. He had wanted to be president for a long time. Um, he also had ties to crime. And in fact, there are reports that um there were investigations underway that were about to break into the public press uh, that could have seen LBJ locked up 
and removed from office and that Kennedy himself was planning on dumping LBJ off the 1964 ticket, which would have ended his political career. And so rather Mm -hmm. than face prosecution and the end of his political career, the claim is LBJ ensured his ascension to the Oval Office and thus avoided those problems. Then there are claims that uh, so Kennedy had uh, was a supporter of civil rights. And this was a very tense time in the civil rights struggle. There were a lot of racists who were not happy with JFK. Uh, there, and, and we'll talk about this in future episodes. We actually have like FBI recordings of some racists discussing assassinating JFK. Mm. And so there are uh, there there are claims that racists may have been involved. Others include. Uh, Texas oil men who didn't like JFK, members of the Federal Reserve that didn't like JFK's monetary policies. It's even been claimed the Israelis were involved. And then there there are claims that combinations of these other parties were involved. So there are a lot of proposed responsible parties, even though JFK historically has been quite popular. At the time, there were a lot of people with whom he was not popular and who, it is argued, had motive to kill him. So, so if there's one thing that's not lacking in the uh, mystery surrounding the JFK assassination, it's conspiracy theories. Yeah, and also <laughs> suspects. Right, right. Uh, okay, so what are the facts uh, surrounding what happened? Well, basically, uh, let's start with the reason JFK was in Dallas. Um, at the time, there was a feud going on between some Texas politicians in the Democratic Party. And part of the reason he was there was to settle that feud and get everybody on the same page and put on a nice public face. And one of the reasons he wanted to do that was uh, because the 1964 election was coming up. He was going to be standing for re-election. He had barely won Texas the first time, and he'd actually lost the vote in Dallas. And so he wanted to shore up his political support for the coming presidential re-election campaign. Um, He therefore had a tour going of these different sites in Texas, and he had landed in Dallas. The plan, they did a breakfast and then or he, uh, I guess, maybe landed in Fort Worth, but they didn't. They did a breakfast. They were doing a motorcade through Dallas. He was heading to a place called the Trade Mart, where there was going to be a meeting. They were going to have a lunch there and meet with some, uh, I guess, trade representatives. Um, and then, as they were heading through Dealey Plaza, the shots got fired, and many of the eyewitnesses perceived shots coming from the front of the limousine, which is where a place known as the Grassy Knoll is. Um, And actually, a bunch of policemen and civilians rushed up the Grassy Knoll to try to confront the person they thought was shooting. Hmm. Also, though, now behind where the limousine is, is where the book depository is. In the opposite direction. In the opposite direction. So this is the Grassy Knoll is in front of the limousine. The Grassy Knoll, the book depository is behind the limousine. Okay. And the Texas State Book Depository, this was a place where, as the name suggests, they deposited school books that children would use in school, and then they shipped them around the state. Okay. And so you had workers there who who were book shipping guys. And um, and so uh, where the shots were coming from, whether it's the the grassy knoll or the book depository or both becomes a key factor in was this a conspiracy? According to the Warren Commission, 
all of the shots came from the sixth floor of the book depository where they say Lee Harvey Oswald had made a sniper's nest out of um, boxes, crates of books that he kind of built a little enclosure for so nobody could see him with a rifle behind it, pointing it out a window down at the motorcade. Um, on the grassy knoll, by contrast, there's a fence that um, there's a picket fence that um, it, people perceived a gunman to be standing behind. And so that's where it happened. We also happen to have photographic records of this, some of it in still images because people were snapping pictures. Uh, we have a couple we have more than one uh, motion picture recording of it. One of them is called the Nix film. It's not as famous because it's not as informative as another film that was taken by a man named Abraham Zapruder. This is called the Zapruder film, and he has the best uh, images of what happened. And this film was not shown. It was actually pretty graphic, uh, which was one of the reasons it wasn't shown on television for a long time until the 1970s. But when people finally got to saw it, got to see it, they saw it and it looked like Kennedy is being thrown backwards after being impacted on the front of his head by a bullet. It looks like he's he's um, being hit from the front and then thrown backwards by the blast. Hmm. So that's something else that fed into this. Uh, so that's where and where this happened and what some of the initial reactions were. Then we need to talk about the man who was fingered as the assassination, uh, as the assassin. His name was Lee Harvey Oswald. He was originally from New Orleans um, or from Louisiana. He grew up in New Orleans, and he's a really strange guy. Um, he entered the Marines, and then in 1959, he defected to the Soviet Union. And this was, you know, something at the time. I mean, you didn't just become a citizen of the Soviet Union. I mean, this was our mortal enemy and as Americans. And for someone to go over to their side was a really dramatic thing. And um, so he, he defected to the Soviet Union in 1959. He got married there to a woman named Marina. And then in 1962... He petitioned to come back to the United States and they gave him permission. Hmm. And it's like this guy is a double defector. First, he defects from us to the Soviets. Then he defects from the Soviets back to us. And both times the U.S. government let him do it. Uh, it didn't didn't stop him uh, from from reentering the U.S. and becoming an American again. Hmm. Um, so that raised a lot of people's, once he got arrested, that raised a lot of questions about what's going on here with this guy. Is he some kind of Soviet agent? Um, so he was at the book depository. He was one of the workers there at the book depository. And he was seen at the book depository shortly before and shortly after the shots were fired. But then within a few minutes, he left the book depository. And what happens next is unclear. Um, about 1.15, we know he went home because his landlady was there and saw him change shirts. But uh, about 1.15, so this is 45 minutes after the shooting, there was a police officer, a Dallas police officer named J.D. Tippett, who was on patrol 
like everybody else, he'd heard reports on his police radio about the assassination. He was on the lookout for the assassin who had been described over the radio. And at one, about 115, he gets shot dead. And so we have a second murder connected with this series of events, it seems. Um, there is a dispute about whether Oswald shot him or whether somebody else shot him or even a pair of people shot him. Then about 2 a.m., Oswald is arrested. So this is like an hour and a half. This is really fast. 2 p.m. 2 p.m. This is an hour and a half after the shooting. They arrest Oswald. And where they find him is in the Texas Theater, which was a movie theater there in Dallas. Um, It was showing the 1963 Korean War film War is Hell. And apparently Oswald snuck into the theater without paying. And that's what alerted the theater owner or part of what alerted the theater owner to something suspicious. They called the police. The police came. They brought up the lights in the movie theater and they arrested Oswald, who initially resisted arrest. They take him back to the police station in Dallas and he's questioned for like 48 hours. And it's and during that time, he's also moved around periodically from like a jail cell to a questioning room and back and things like that. So they're periodically moving him around in the hallways. And there are loads of reporters there who are asking questions and filming things. And at, at one point, they ask him, did you kill the president? And he he looks surprised and he denies it and uh, and says, I haven't been charged with that. I don't know anything about that. And then uh, he also um, ends up saying, uh, in response to such a question, I'm just a patsy. Uh, hmm. So he denies involvement. He claims he's just a patsy. Notice how different that is from what other assassins like John Wilkes Booth have said. When John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln, he leapt onto the stage of Ford's theater, raised a knife above his head, and According to eyewitnesses, he said, six semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants in mm. Latin. He also is reported by eyewitnesses to have said, now the South has been avenged. So Booth was very proud of what he had just done and wanted everybody to know it. Oswald is saying, I'm just a patsy. So he has a very different attitude. Hmm. Then um, as uh, the case is proceeding, the police are planning on transferring on Sunday. So JFK is shot on a Friday. On Sunday, the police are planning on transferring Oswald to the county jail and from the police station. And that morning, Sunday, November 24th at 1121 in the morning, so almost exactly two days after the assassination of President Kennedy, they take Oswald down into the basement of the um, uh, kind of parking garage basement of the Dallas uh, Police Center, and they're putting him in a, in an unmarked vehicle or in a in a un- unannounced vehicle uh, to take him to the uh, county jail. They're trying to keep people from knowing about this, but they're not doing a good job because the press is right there filming all of this. Right, and at eleven twenty one a.m. A man, a local nightclub owner named Jack Ruby, lunges out of the crowd and shoots Oswald dead in police custody. And so Oswald is then taken to uh, Parkland Hospital, the same hospital that they took JFK to, and he's pronounced dead at Parkland Hospital. 
Um, they try to save his life, but it doesn't work. So, um, so we've had the assassin, the proposed assassin of Kennedy himself assassinated mm. in while in police custody by a man who got into the police headquarters with a gun and shot him dead right there in police custody in local police custody not in federal custody which I not think. in federal custody right because this there was it, this was not a federal crime at the time this was actually a legal issue um the texas district attorney uh wade of roe v wade um said this is a this is a murder committed on texas soil this belongs here and and later they changed federal law to address this question because at the time this would have counted as a local murder. Um, so uh, in any event, um, Ruby is then taken into custody and afterward he starts making some really strange remarks. Um, he says this is a this is a direct quote. He says the world will never know the true facts of what occurred. My motives. The people had that had so much to gain and had such an ulterior motive for putting me in the position I'm in will never let the true facts come above board to the world. Hmm. He also begged the Warren Commission to get him out of Dallas and take him to Washington, D.C. so that he could prove his innocence because he said, if I stay here in Dallas, that won't happen. Interesting. He then uh, in prison, they tried him, they sentenced him to uh, they sentenced him. And then um, he appealed. And in on January 3rd, 1967. So this is like, you know, three years, a little more than three years later, um, Ruby, he dies in prison and he apparently claimed that he also had been assassinated. Um, he told, according to Deputy Sheriff Al Maddox, um, that the assassination of Kennedy had been a conspiracy and that he himself had been injected, he thought, with cells of some kind that gave him cancer. Huh. And then he died from the cancer. And this was happening. He died while he was awaiting a new trial that was scheduled to be held in Wichita Falls outside of Dallas. So he was getting an appeal outside of Dallas like he wanted. Then the Warren Commission comes out in 1964 with its ruling that Warren was a lone assassin. And then in 1978, the House Select Committee came out with its findings that suggested that there was indeed a conspiracy. So that's what we know. OK. OK. So the, yeah. Yeah. So then um, as we do, we, we usually you know look at things from both a faith perspective and a reason perspective. Um, not this time, not much to say from the faith perspective. Obviously, murder is bad. Um, I do have one faith related question is, is um, yeah. did do any of the theories look into whether he was targeted for because he was the first Catholic president? I'm sure there are people who have uh, who have proposed that given the vast number of theories that have been proposed. Um, and I'm sure some people would say, well, that's one contributing factor, maybe like, for example, mm -hmm. um, the racists who hated them. Well, a lot of them are members of the Ku Klux Klan. Well, in addition to not liking African-Americans, the Ku Klux Klan also doesn't like Jews and Catholics. So, you know, they could have had religious animus or ethnic animus. He was also Irish. Uh, they could have had religious and ethnic animus towards him as well as being uh, opposed to his uh, civil rights policies. And, and given that the Italian mafia 
was putatively Catholic as well. Their motivation to help him earlier might have been, according to that conspiracy theory, might have been religiously related as well. And so the, the Italian so, mafia, the not Italian the mafia. Jewish mafia or whatever. Yeah, right, right. OK, so that's so that's probably enough to say about the faith perspective. So then from the the reason perspective, as we as look you know into this logically uh, from science and history, what, what can we say about the, the various conspiracies? Well, um, so the first thing is we do have these two contrary government findings. So I don't think anybody should be uh, I don't think anybody should be quickly dismissing the conspiracy theory. Um, I uh, the idea that everybody who's looked into it agrees with the Warren Commission is not true. Uh, the House Select Committee also looked into it and came to a different conclusion. Um, so I I would say the Warren Commission needs to be taken seriously, just like every analysis of the case needs to be carefully looked at. Um, but I don't think it should be regarded as axiomatically definitive. Um, regarding another claim I mentioned that, you know, conspiracies like this, they're always lone assassins. That is patently not true. Mm. Um, it was not true in the ancient world. For example, Julius Caesar was famously killed by a conspiracy. I mean, the line, et tu brute, you too, Brutus, right. Caesar thought Brutus was his friend. Well, you too, you're one of the conspiracy. That's what the significance of that line is. Uh, Caligula, also the Roman emperor, was killed by a conspiracy involving his own guards because he was such a maniacally crazy ruler. Uh, and he, those two weren't the only ones. Lots of people have been killed by conspiracies. Um, in fact, every time there's a mob hit, it usually involves a conspiracy because you've got the Don who orders the hit and then the hitman who carries it out. Well, by definition, any time two people agree to commit a criminal act, that's a conspiracy. So uh, the, virtually every mob hit is a conspiracy. The attempted assassination of uh, Pope John Paul by Mehmet Aliaga. I mean, he says he was put up to it by the Bulgarian uh, KGB at the time, um, yeah. which would have been although they deny it. But there's strong right. evidence for it. Maybe maybe another topic for another yeah. episode. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Also, though, even in our own U.S. history, I mentioned John Wilkes Booth. Well, he wasn't a lone assassin. Right. He was the ringleader of the Lincoln conspiracy. And that the same members, some members of the same conspiracy also like um, attacked another government official at the same time. Originally, they planned to kidnap Lincoln and the people from the conspiracy um, all got arrested, and with one exception, they all got executed. Right. Um, and in fact, it involved, if, if memory serves, the first execution of a woman in American history because she was the um, uh, Mary Surratt was the owner of the boarding house where the conspiracy met. And it's not even clear from what I understand that she was even involved. But at the time, passions were so high that she was viewed as complicit in the matter. And it led to the execution of the first woman in U.S. history. Hmm. So conspiracies to assassinate presidents, even in American history, have existed. OK. So then what's the the, the next bit uh, of, of from a perspective of reason we want to look at? Well, looking at let's look at Oswald for a second, because he's got this really bizarre background. I mean, he's yeah. an American. He joins the Marines. Usually you'd think he's that means he's patriotic. Then he defects to the Soviet Union. Then he defects back and the government lets him back in. And then he ends up 
working right where the president's motorcade is going to go and shooting the president, it's claimed. There are a bunch of ways you can look at that. One way is he's just a really disturbed guy. And and so it does fit the lone nut theory. But it also makes him a really good patsy. Right. Um, because he is he does have such a bizarre life history. And and since this is in the middle of the Cold War, um, you can imagine what the consequences would have been if it had been concluded that he was a Russian agent who assassinated the president. It would have led to nuclear war, right. which is actually what some people in the Kennedy administration wanted to have happen. You had hawks. Uh, who wanted us to go to war with the Soviet Union while we could. And so um, if if you look at it from that perspective, he Lee Harvey Oswald makes a great firewall um, because because of his known Russian ties. If you start looking at this guy too closely, you might discover that he's a Soviet agent and that might lead to nuclear war. And that gives you as an investigator who doesn't want nuclear war a good reason not to look too closely at him. Hmm. And so uh, he makes a good firewall in that respect. Um, so he'd make a good patsy for that reason. In terms of his bizarre history, it may not have been as bizarre as claimed. He may have, and this is something that's explored by some theorists, he may have been part of military intelligence. He, uh, he, we know he was involved in some secret radar work while he was in, in, in the military, and he then could have been sent to defect to the Soviet Union on a mission promising them secret knowledge of U.S. military secrets, uh, radar secrets, in exchange for information that he was supposed to find for us over there. And then that could explain why he was let back in so quickly after his defection uh, in 1962 um, without a big hullabaloo. That was his retrieval from the operation he had been on. Mm -hmm. So he so that's a possibility, too, which, again, given it would give him the kind of background you need to make him a good patsy, either from a crazy man perspective or from a we don't want to look too deep into this perspective. Interesting. And and as you said before, he, you know, he, his claims to being a patsy is sort of aberrant for an assassin who yeah. usually wants people to know why I did it and this is why I did it and I'm proud of having done it. Absolutely. It's it's very different from the attitude that not just John Wilkes Booth had, but that other conspirators have historically had. I did a piece on this, which will be in the show notes, where I talk about other attempted or other assassinations of American presidents and what the assassins had to say afterwards. And Lee Harvey Oswald is the only one, if he was an assassin, who was not proud of what he did. He's the only one who denies it. The others are all like, I am so glad I did this. I, mean, I want think, everyone to know. When you think about it, if he was a lone gunman, like, why wouldn't he like, why would you yeah. shoot someone and then not want to take talk about it? Not want to say this is why and it's for justice and or whatever yeah. his reasoning was. Or I want to impress Jodie Foster or whatever <laughs> right. the reason is you want people to know if you're so mad at someone, you want to publicly kill them. You probably aren't going to say, I'm just a patsy afterwards. That's an improbable thing from right. an assassin. From a psychological profile of, of an assassin that would, yeah, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. As opposed to a hitman, a hitman who's just in it for the money might say, oh, no, I didn't do that. Right. But an assassin who wants to kill somebody passionately 
tend they tend to take credit for what they did. Right. That's interesting. Uh, um, so then think about it. Suppose for a moment that there's a that there is a conspiracy and you've got your patsy in police custody and he's announcing the fact he's a patsy. Do you want him to he probably has knowledge because you had to maneuver him into position to being the patsy. Right. <clears throat> so he's probably going to have some knowledge of who else was involved. If you're involved, do you want your patsy spilling the beans? Right. No. So you're going to want to take care <clears throat> of your Patsy as quickly as possible. Like in Star Trek Six, you're going to want to assassinate the assassins. Right. And so, um, so <laughs> then out of the blue, here comes Jack Ruby, not local nightclub owner, with apparently both FBI informant ties and mob ties. Walks into police headquarters and shoots him on live television, first live te televised murder in U.S. history. And then afterwards, um, he starts saying weird things like there are people who've put me in position in this position and the world will never know what really happened. And I need to be taken out of Dallas so I can tell my true story and things like that. And he does. You know, prior to that, he wasn't expressing. Uh, noticeable aberrant behavior. It wasn't a crazy well, that's, person. That's, that's debated. Okay. So, um, so there are claims that he was he. Uh, there are claims that he was he was also kind of a weird guy. Mm -hmm. um, and there are uh, and there are also claims that in the days subsequent to the assassination, he was really emotionally broken up. Um, and so this is disputed, um, but you know, it's, it, so you can look at it in more than one way. He could be a mm -hmm. lone nut, but my point in terms of you don't have to be crazy to think there's a conspiracy is right. this is also very consistent with a pattern of sending someone with mob ties who you may have dirt on that you can force him to do this or you'll kill him. Right. Um, to go take care of this <clears throat> for you because it looks like your your patsy is about to start spilling the beans. Interesting. Okay. And then um, there, there's uh, there's the Zapruder film. Um, you had mentioned that yeah. has some evidence on it that may indicate right the second gunman. Yeah. So um, at least to the casual eye. When you watch the Zapruder film, and you can go on YouTube, it'll be there. Um, it looks like Kennedy is – he's struck more than once. The first time he's struck, he's at, the car is actually behind a street sign. But you can tell he's been struck because he's got both of his hands up to the base of his throat when he comes out from, this, from behind the street sign. And that's the first bullet. It's generally agreed it, – it, um, it was it's basically universally agreed it was the first one to hit him and it made a hole at the base of his throat. Um, then there's another much more dramatic shot that happens on the film itself when the limousine is out in view. And it looks like the front uh, the right front temple of Kennedy's head <clears throat> explodes and then his body is thrown back and to the left. And this is a famous scene in Oliver Stone's movie uh, JFK, where um, uh, where the fictionalized uh, New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison is showing the Zapruder film to a jury, 
repeatedly noting that his body goes back and to the left, back and to the left, which would suggest an impact from the right front, which is where the grassy knoll is. Um, now, there are responses to that. One claim is that he was hit from behind. And if you look very carefully, it looks like his body lurches slightly forward before falling back. And that's the actual impact. Another claim is that there is a reflex that can be triggered um, in your nervous system where you get hit a certain way and your spine arches and that causes you to fall backwards. Um, a rejoinder to that one that I've heard, I forget who said this, but um, the response was, I've shot a lot of deer in the woods and I've never seen one, you know, fall in that way. Hmm. Um, so... So, you know, there are debates about exactly what the Zapruder film shows us, but at least at superficial examination, it really does look like he's getting hit from the front. Okay. Right. So and that's also where a lot of police and other eyewitnesses thought the shot came from, and that's why they rushed up the grassy knoll to try to confront the gunman they perceived to be there. Um, so, like we said, there's so much more. This Each one of these things could be a whole episode in itself. Um, so let's kind of sum up here the the bottom line uh, on this overview uh, of what you know what what are we what's your bottom line on this, Jim? Well, at this point, I would say that I don't have a settled view on on the assassination or who is responsible for it. I'm open both to the lone gunman perspective, but I'm also open to other perspectives, and I I think it's very clear that you don't have to be crazy to conclude that there was uh that there was a conspiracy and that others were involved besides Oswald or even that Oswald was a patsy like he claimed hmm. um and that he wasn't one of the shooters at all i think good cases can be made for each of these um perspectives and so uh i'm continuing my own investigations and we'll share some of those uh with you on future programs and at some point i may have a definitive result to announce that i've concluded but for the moment i i want to just say i think that uh, people need to think carefully about all the possible perspectives because it's not immediately obvious that one of them is true and that the others are false we had some feedback a couple episodes ago where someone asked, um, do you think we'll ever have a definitive answer to the Watergate conspiracy questions? So I want to pose that to you now preemptively. Do you think we will ever have a, a definitive explanation? Maybe. Um, <laughs> the reason I say that is uh, there, there, the answer may be found through new forensic means that emerge one day or it may emerge from files that are still secret. There were a lot of assassination-related files that were kept secret um, for many decades. Over time, public pressure um, has led to a bunch of them being released. Uh, President Clinton released a bunch of them uh, back in the 1990s. President Trump just recently has released a bunch more. There are still a few that are considered too sensitive to release, but they should eventually be released. And when they are, we may find more evidence that gives us a more definitive answer. Uh, but we're going to have to wait and see on that. And it's probably unlikely after all of the, the you know, the it's going to be hard. Yeah. yeah. But even but even like other evidence, like other films or other photos, the fact is, is anyone who was there that day who was with had a camera of some sort has probably already 
shown the footage or what what have you to to people. Yeah, although there are claims from some people that their footage was taken by the government and not returned to them. So it could be in those files. Okay. Okay. All right. So and then uh we have extensive resources that we're offering to listeners to to follow yeah. up. On this. I've got a bunch of links. I won't describe them all individually, but I've got a bunch of links to uh, one of them is to my analysis of the assassination uh, that you can read at jimmyakin.com. The link is in the show notes. I've also got Wikipedia links to the key people who were involved, as well as different aspects of the assassination, um, including the Warren Commission and the House Select Committee on Assassinations. I've also got four books um, that I, I've, I've got links to if you want to get some books and really dig into this in detail. I've got two books from the pro-lone gunman perspective and two books from the conspiracy perspective. Um, the first book is called Case Closed by Gerald Posner. Uh, it's, he's, he's a pro-lone gunman view. Uh, also, Reclaiming History by, by Vincent Bugliosi. He was the prosecutor in the Manson murders, but he also wrote a, uh, a book on the Kennedy assassination called Reclaiming History where he is on the lone gunman side. Then against the lone gunman uh, perspective, there's the book Crossfire by Jim Mars. This was one of the bases of Oliver Stone's JFK movie. And it's really comprehensive in terms of going through different conspiracy possibilities and who might have been involved. Also, there's a book uh, called Last Word by Mark Lane. Mark Lane was an, att an attorney and a New York uh, congressman who knew Kennedy and took an interest in the Kennedy assassination. And he wrote one of the first books challenging the Warren Commission findings. It was a book called Rush to Judgment. That's also available. You can get that. He ended up writing a series of books related to the Kennedy assassination. He's one of the more sober, conspiracy-minded uh, people writing from that perspective. So his most recent book that he wrote at the end of his career is called Last Word, and I'd recommend that, but I'd also suggest uh, checking out Mark Lane's other stuff because he's one of the more sober, conspiracy-minded people. Excellent. Thank you. So, uh, like we said, we'll be back to this this topic again in future episodes. So stay subscribed and uh, you, you'll, you'll, we'll, we'll be digging even deeper. But now I want to talk about uh, some, some mysterious feedback, some feedback from our listeners. Uh, this time we're talking about the um, episode that we did on the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, our first bit of feedback comes from George Hoare uh, from YouTube, and he says a great person to check out uh, on the Dead Sea Scrolls is Dr. John Bergsma, his research on the scrolls. Yeah, so um, John, John Bergsma is a Catholic uh, biblical scholar, and he has written on this subject. I've had a little bit of interaction with him, and I understand he has a book uh, coming out that uh, deals in part with the Dead Sea Scrolls and the the impact that that may or may not have on the dating of the Last Supper. Uh, so hmm. I'm looking forward to getting that when it comes out. And uh, he's a good guy. So check him out. Excellent. Uh, another comment um, on the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, video on YouTube from Atomic B. He says, Jimmy, can you do a show on the Mecca or Petra mystery? What are those, Jimmy? Well, OK, so Mecca is the capital of Saudi Arabia and Petra is a city in the desert. If you've seen um, the third well, Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Well, first I want to correct you. Mecca is not the capital of Saudi Arabia. It's the religious oh, that's center. You're right. Yeah. yeah, the yeah, yeah. Religious center. Sorry. Riyadh <laughs> is the capital. Sorry. Yeah. Mecca is the religious capital or religious mm. center. Um, the um, 
Petra is a, is an abandoned city in the desert that was made by an ancient civilization that we know some about, but a lot remains mysterious. And it's carved out of stone, so it, it it's very distinctive. If you've seen Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, this is the weird rock-cut city that they go to. Right, at the very that's, end. That's, yeah. that's Petra. That's where they filmed that sequence. Um, and both – there are interesting mysteries surrounding both Mecca and Petra. The one that Atomic B is talking about, I believe, is a claim – that has been made by – there's one particular Canadian scholar researcher who's who's advanced this claim that um, Muhammad, <clears throat> the founding prophet of Islam, was not really from Mecca, that he was from Petra, and that the early Qiblas in early Islamic mosques – a Qibla is kind of a marker on the wall of a mosque that points towards Mecca so you know where to pray. And his claim is that the early Qiblas are actually oriented to Petra. Hmm. Um, so this is not a popular theory, um, but there are a lot of interesting things about Mecca and Petra to talk about. So we could uh, end up doing shows on, on both of those sites, and we uh, might well talk about this theory in the course of discussing them. Excellent. And then uh, finally, uh, Ramey Leroy on Facebook says uh, <clears throat> on the Dead Sea Scrolls episode, great show. I just listened to it last night. And just this morning, I opened my prayer book to find this prayer. And they enclosed a photo of the Christian book and uh, book of prayer, uh, the Christian prayer book. It's called that's its title. I didn't even know there were prayers well, in this book from the Dead Sea Scrolls. So cool. Yeah. So there, you know, there are uh, prayers that um, are in the Dead Sea Scrolls that can be prayed from a Christian perspective, and I'm not surprised that some of them have ended up in a Christian prayer book. That That is interesting. Excellent. And then, uh, so the, thank you for the feedback, folks, and uh, we welcome more feedback on our shows. Uh, what about our mystery headlines, Jimmy? So in mysterious headlines, I have uh, two headlines for us. The first one is a story about a dis debate occurring regarding why the dinosaurs went extinct. Um, now, when I was growing up, when I was a little boy back in the 60s and 70s, this was not an entirely settled thing. I remember reading books that had different explanations for why the dinosaurs died. And the idea, the claim was nobody really knows. Right. But then in the 1970s, the asteroid impact hypothesis became, began to become dominant. Um, the idea being the Earth got hit by a big asteroid. It caused a global nuclear winter that killed off the dinosaurs. And that got strengthened when we found a massive impact crater of about the right date um, in uh, Mexico at the Yucatan Peninsula. And so that's been kind of the dominant view for a long time. But there's an emerging debate over this subject in the scientific community. There's a, a geologist from Princeton named Gerda Keller, and she does not buy the asteroid impact theory. And she's a geologist. So she's advocating an alternative hypothesis that she's not denying that an asteroid hit the Earth, but she's saying that wasn't enough to kill the dinosaurs. Um, there were other things involved, including a series of massive volcanic explosions that poisoned the atmosphere. Hmm. And uh, she's getting enough traction that other scientists are starting to to take another look at this and say, you know, maybe we need to rethink some of this. And thinking back 
to those books with the crude illustrations they had in them that I read in school as a boy. Some of them indeed, indeed proposed like volcanic gases or other <laughs> gases coming up out of Earth and poisoning the atmosphere and causing the dinosaurs to to fall over and die. Um, so, uh, so that's something interesting to check out that's going on in the scientific community. Another thing that's interesting to check out in the scientific community is we've getting, we've been getting some mysterious radio signals from space. We don't know what they are. They are called FRBs, which stands for fast radio bursts. They last just like milliseconds. I mean, just fractions of a second and they're over. And they seem to be coming from very distant, uh, places in the universe, other galaxies, uh, billions of light years away, most of them. And um, and we don't know what's producing them. They may well be explained by a natural phenomenon, uh, maybe one we already know about, maybe one we haven't yet discovered. Um, that's kind of the safe money bet, because every time previously when we found mysterious signals in space, it's turned out to be a natural phenomenon. Uh, when we found the first pulsar, it was called LGM-1 because they thought it might be aliens. So it's little green men number one. <laughs> but then it turned out, no, it's a pulsar. Um, so these FRBs may be just another mysterious natural phenomenon. Most of them are just single blips um, and they don't repeat. But we found one of them that's repeating. And, um, and so... It, it, some people are saying, you know, this this could be signs of intelligent life, either a signaling mechanism of some kind or uh, or something else. But the we can tell they seem to be coming from very small regions, just like um, a few a few hundred kilometers across. Uh, they're very small regions. They're very energetic, like the amount of power the sun puts out in 80 years well, in a fraction of a second. And so it's something interesting and mysterious. So check out the uh, link to that story in the show notes. Oh, thank you. And so uh, once again, we come to the end of another episode. And I want to remind you, everyone, to, to remember to like the podcast, to leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you can leave a review. That helps us uh, spread the show. To give us comments, to subscribe to the podcast if you're not actually subscribed, uh, to make sure you get notifications on YouTube and to share the podcast with others and uh, to help support the work of SQPN and the to you know, uh, uh, to uh, help the continuation of this podcast by going to sqpn.com slash give and to uh, to become a patron uh, with a pledge that helps us uh, to keep going on. And uh, with that, we want to hear from you. Um, what do you think about this uh, overview of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy? You can uh, let us know by visiting sqpn.com, finding the show link there and leaving a comment on it, or by going to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page, leave a comment there, or leave us some feedback uh, by sending us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find relevant links from our discussion and links to the mysterious headlines on our show notes on sqpn.com uh, a programming note folks next Friday is the day after Thanksgiving uh, we, we won't have uh, an episode of the podcast next Friday we're taking uh, the week off for the holiday so uh, we want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving uh, whether you're, uh, you're celebrating in America or uh, or not we still want to give thanks uh, for all our blessings and so uh, have a great Thanksgiving until next time Jimmy Aiken. 
thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks very much, Dom. Uh, once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcasts you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.